Hopefully you have a Bible, and if, if uh, you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to do uh, take a whirlwind study today. We, we mentioned over the last few weeks that we'd be taking a few weeks and talking about what we uh, were entitling the unseen war. It's a, a basic look of the subject that we commonly refer to as spiritual warfare. We only have a few weeks to talk about this, and so there's only so much that we can talk about. And uh, when you think of spiritual warfare, this is something that people write books about. And over the last couple of years, I've tried to read everything that I can read on spiritual warfare. But there's one book that I have read, and I just recommend to all of you. It's called The Invisible War. It's by Chick Ingram, a very, very well-respected man of God within the Christian community. Great book, very readable, and uh, best book I, I've read. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've read, read you know, a number of them, but that's probably the one that I've, I've gone back to the most. Lots of underlines, and I, and I go back to it. But as we talk about spiritual warfare, there, there are, I, I'm not going to go beyond what the Bible says, and, but I am going to talk about what the Bible says. And again, there's only so much that we can talk about in a few weeks. And so I've, I've had to focus in on just what we need to know. And so for that reason, I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 10 through verse 13. And then uh, we're going to come back and we're going to unpack it. So in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And it says, put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I've underlined schemes and devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces, underlined spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the, day of, in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So I'm going to stop right there. And uh, I, I want us to consider a couple of things that, that are important for us as believers when we consider this. And some of this might be new, and some of this by, might just be by way of review, by way of, of review for, for some of us. First thing I need to say today, and I want you to write this down on your outline, is that uh, Satan is real. Satan is real. And in verse 11, you notice it says, put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, you can call him the devil. He has a, it goes by a number of different names. But in Revelation, here's what it says. It says there in your outline, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So however you want to call him, he's the same entity. You say, well, why would I say that? Well, you and I, in, in uh, the church world, we would be considered what's called evangelicals. And among evangelicals, there's an interesting trend. And uh, you can get this just about anywhere if you, you do a search on your computer. This is from the Christian Post, and it holds most U.S. Christians don't believe Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. Uh, as they, they talk about evangelicals, it says the majority of American Christians do not believe that Satan is a real being or that the Holy Spirit is a living entity, the latest Barnish survey found. Nearly six out of ten Christians either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with the statement that Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil, uh, the survey found. In contrast, only about 35% of American Christians believe that Satan is real. 
And so uh, that's why I had you write that down. We're going to talk a little bit about Satan's schemes, and one of his greatest schemes is, is the scheme of deceit. So he would love for you not to believe in him. He's okay if you believe in God, but he doesn't want you to believe in him. And although the Bible speaks from cover to cover about this entity, Satan and demons and, and all of that, um, you know, 60% of those who profess to be Christians don't even believe in that. Well, the good news is that, that uh, Jesus believed, Peter believed, and Paul believed. And so we'll, we'll see that as we travel through today. But the majority of Christians <laughs> believe that Satan is another, none other than a metaphor for evil. And so I would suggest to you that when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted, he was not tempted by a metaphor. He was not tempted by an illustration. When, de- when Jesus would cast out demons, he didn't say, come out thou foul illustration of evil. He, he didn't say stuff like that. He said, come out. And sometimes those demons, they spoke back. And so from cover to cover, the Bible talks uh, about the demonic realm, Satan's realm, being real. Biblically speaking, the, the question isn't, does Satan exist? The question is, what do you do with him? What do you do with him? That's what we want to talk about. And then in verse 12, just very quickly, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces and wicked of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so what I'd want to say there is that you and I, if that verse is true, would hold that you and I are in a very real war. We're in a real war. And write that down. The war is in the unseen realm, the spiritual realm. And hopefully, as we traveled through, you underlined where it said the spiritual forces. And so, in, in order to fight this war effectively, you and I are going to have to see the real enemy. And uh, the real enemy is not that spouse, that cranky spouse that you, you, know, you might have or those siblings that you might have to deal with. The, the real enemy is not your coworkers. The real enemy is not your boss. Uh, the real enemy is not the zoning department. Uh, the, those things are uh, simply manifestations. And, and Satan would love for you to think that people are the enemy, so you begin to fight people and you don't fight him. And that's part of the great deception. Well, because the Bible teaches that it's a spiritual war, one of the things that we find is that you cannot engage in this battle doing things in the flesh. For instance, you'll recall it was just a couple of months ago, we had that big meeting with the Jupiter Farms residents, and, and we said, if they stand up, start yelling, start screaming, and saying you know, mean, hurtful, hateful things, we don't do that, because you're not going to fight this battle by doing what other people would do in the flesh. So it's, it's an entirely different battle. You cannot win it in the flesh. We don't have to consider or ask the question, are we in this war? We are in this war by virtue of being a Christian. You've stepped in it. When you were born again, you were born into, into a war. The question is simply, are we winning this war or is Satan winning this war in our lives? So I want you to notice this next verse there in your outline, and it says that we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You might want to underline that. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So not only are we in a war, but right now, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, currently you and I are living in what we might call enemy territory. So in, in Satan's 
kingdom where the whole world lies in his power, we find that, that Satan is a fallen angel and uh, he has a number of fallen angels and he has a number of demons who are with them and those demons are broken up by various hierarchies. Uh, and what we need to know right now is that there is a kingdom and it's, it's Satan's kingdom. Also one other thing, fallen angels are not demons. Angels never seek embodiment. Demons always seek embodiment. They have a, they're part of the same kingdom but they have a very, very different source and origin and uh, that's a, an incredible story for another day. But, but uh, it's, I, I don't even know why I put that out there but, but I did So uh, now the good news in this battle is that you and I don't have to fight for the victory, but we fight from victory. And I want you to write that down. We fight from victory. In verse 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and it says, rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So you, you have this hierarchy, uh, spiritually speaking. Now, now what's important is when you study a Bible, typically the first part of a book lays the foundation, and then everything is interpreted based upon the foundation that has been, that has been laid, what has already been written. So you and I are reading in chapter 6. If we were reading in chapter 1, a certain foundation has been laid. So there on your outline, I want to read from chapter 1, and just notice what it says. We'll underline a couple of things. He says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be the head over everything for, uh, over everything for the church. Now, the reason I, I share that is in chapter 6, it talks about those, that hierarchy that Satan has and how he's, his forces and all that. But in chapter 1 it says that what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and the power that he has is so far beyond, so far beyond. So I've always likened the battle like this. Um, if uh, you were in the military you'd get this, uh, but if, if you were part of the infantry in the military, you know one of the things that would happen, you're going to go through some training, and then uh, if there's some type of combat, you're going to find yourself typically going to enemy territory. Now, before you go out into that enemy territory to patrol, there's going to be a couple of things that take place. First of all, you're going to have body armor that's going to be on you and uh, a helmet, and so you're going to be well, well protected as best uh, that, that they can do. They're going to give you a weapon and uh, with an ample amount of ammunition. And uh, some, some will have a, a number of different weapons on them. But then as you go out, you're typically going to have at least somebody on your squad or team is going to have a radio. Now the radio, the great thing about the radio, radio is like prayer because you can get on that thing and you can call in an airstrike, you can call in artillery, whatever you need to focus in on the enemy. And the, the other thing that you'll notice when you go patrolling in enemy territory, you typically don't go patrolling alone. So you're well armed, you're, you're well positioned. Now, we, we just saw how what God gives us is so far beyond what our enemy has. So you have to look at your enemy. Your enemy is strong, spiritually speaking. But uh, in our case, our enemy, he's equipped with things like stones and sticks. 
That's what he has. So when you go out to encounter him and you're well armed, you're, you're well uh, prepared with your weapon, you have the radio, you can call in an airstrike, artillery, whatever you need, uh, he's strong but he's no match because all he has is sticks and stones. Does that make sense? And now, now here's where, where uh, many Christians miss it. This is where we, we get beat up spiritually. Many times what we do is we go out in enemy territory, we go out to patrol by ourselves, and as we go out to patrol by ourselves, we don't have that armor, we don't have that weapon, and we don't have that radio. And so when we go out into enemy territory, uh, basically going out on patrol in your underwear is the idea. So as you go out and you encounter the enemy, even though what you have that's been supplied to you, if you don't use that, you don't put it on, your enemy is strong, he has sticks and stones, and he will break your bones is the, is the idea. And so you have to be able to put, you have to put that on, otherwise this is not going to work. And we'll talk about that as we travel through. So you have to put on what it is that we have. I want you to notice verse 10. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So when it says be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, it's never in your might. It's never in your might. So your, your army, your commander, make sure that you have everything that you need far above what your enemy has. So he supplies you with the armor, supplies you with the helmet, supplies you with the weapon, supplies you with the ammunition for the weapon, supplies you with the radio, and is well prepared with airstrikes and artillery, whatever it is that you need. So when you go out to battle, you don't have to go in your own strength, in your own provision. You're going out in what's been provided for you, and the promises is it's far above anything that the enemy has. So what can Satan do? Well, in in our world, we notice a couple of things. Uh, Write this down and we'll unpack it. Spiritual forces, that in the unseen, can affect the material world. We might say the material world or the physical world. Great story in Luke chapter 13. And it says, there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness, and I want you to underline, it says, caused by a spirit. Does everybody see that? Caused by a spirit. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. You can read the story or guess how the story ends, but, but it's taken care of. Now, what, why do I give this story? It says it was caused by a spirit. Something is taking place in the spiritual realm, but the manifestation is causing a problem in the physical realm or in the material realm. I would suggest to you that because in this case the situation has a spiritual root that's causing the problem, all of the best medication, the best doctors, and the best chiropractic could not fix this situation because that has to be dealt with spiritually. Not saying that all illness is spiritually uh, has a spiritual component. You and I live in a fallen world. We uh, we get old. Our bodies are falling apart. We do our best to hold it together. And uh, but but sometimes, and so it's not everything is spiritual. But the church tends to go in two extremes. One arm of the church tends to hold that every time you get sick, you get a sniffle, that it's a, demo, it's a demon. So they want to cast that out. Well, that's probably not the case. On the other hand. The other side of the church says, that, well, it's all medical. It's, it's, just, it's just illness. Well, sometimes, yes. And so you have to discern, is this really a physical thing or is there a spiritual root? But my point in saying all that is something happens in the spiritual realm, but the manifestation occurs in the physical realm. 
Another story that we're all familiar with, this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And any time a story makes it in three gospels, you always want to take that as a pause. There's something there that God wants to illuminate. And so this is the story commonly referred to as the demoniac of the Gerasenes or the legion, you know, the guy who had the 2,000 or thousands of demons. And, and um, it's an interesting story because it, it reveals, at least in this case, what is taking place in the spiritual realm and how it's manifesting in the physical realm. And uh, let's just read it and see what we come up with. A couple of observations. It says, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. So this Whatever this is, is controlling this man. What is it leading him to do? For a long time, this man had not worn clothes, underline that, or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs, underline that. And then Mark's gospel adds, crying out and cutting himself, crying out and cutting himself. So what we see here, something's taking place in the spiritual realm, but it's manifesting in, it's manifesting behaviorally. So we see in this, there are three manifestations in this case. The first thing that we see is that there's an inappropriate nudity. That for for whatever reason, this man is is running around without any any clothes. And and so that's one manifestation, at least in this case. Uh, Another manifestation that we see, uh, he's living among the tombs. And so we would say there's a fascination with death. And I find that interesting. A few years ago, I shared how at, at, our, at our family, one of the things that we do is every Christmas we, we get our kids um, pajamas. And uh, you know, Daniel's now 17, and you should see him in that little pink bunny suit. It's just adorable. <laughs> but I'm going to hide when I go home today. So, so the, the thing is, we went out looking, and, and everywhere we went, we could not find any pajamas that didn't have skulls and crossbones on them. It seems as though we have a society that is now focused on death, and that's becoming one of our symbols. I would suggest to you that would not come from Jesus who came to give life and give it more abundantly. But there's a fascination in our society. But then another thing that we see in this, the very last thing, says crying out and cutting himself, cutting himself. So in this case, the demonic is, is being manifested with this man cutting himself. I shared this article a couple of years ago. This article is actually uh, somewhat old. It was in 2010. Why are so many girls cutting themselves? It's written by a medical doctor. I won't read the whole article, but it says, how common is it? Much more common than it used to be. Studies from the 1990s suggested rates of 3% or lower, but more recent studies suggest that as many as one in five girls between 10 and 18 years of age are now cutting themselves with razor blades. That's 20% of our population in that age are actively cutting themselves. goes on to say, for example, researchers at Yale University recently reported that 56% of the 10 to 14-year-olds they interviewed reporting engaging and cutting at some point in their lifetime, including 36% in the last year. So it's interesting that one of the things that we see in this person in the Bible is that one of the manifestations of something taking place spiritually and uh, manifesting in the physical is that he's cutting himself. What we're seeing in our society is this eruption uh, multiplied of adolescents who are now cutting themselves unlike any other time in history. Here's what I would suggest. If the source is spiritual, which is driving a generation 
to cut themselves, harm themselves, I would suggest that all of the counseling and all the medication in the world will not stop that if the, if the, if the source is spiritual. So I, I put that out. So um, as, as you consider that, some things have a spiritual root and that manifests in our material or physical world. And we see that and it's happening more and more. And, and then we notice that in the Bible, it, it appears that Satan has two primary goals. I want you to write this down. First of all, he wants to keep unbelievers spiritually blind. Unbelievers spiritually blind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we talked about this. It says, the God of this world, and underline that, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So uh, we, we talk about the God of this world, and then a few moments ago we said that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we really are in enemy territory. So whatever he can do to blind the eyes so they, they can't see, and he'll use arguments and every type of persuasion to keep somebody from embracing Jesus specifically, anything else he's fine with just just wants people to stay away from Jesus. That's the first goal. Then the second goal, we'll say it like this, is to keep the believer. Now this is the one that he couldn't keep from becoming a believer, but now his goal is to keep believers as fruitless as possible. Uh, We could say ineffective as possible. Peter is writing to believers there in your outline, and Peter says it like this, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like, I want you to underline that word, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So part of his tactic is to prowl around. When a lion prowls around, the lion is always looking for the easiest prey, the unsuspecting, the unprepared. And so to counteract that, he says you got to be on the alert. Now, I had you underline the word like, like a roaring lion. In the Bible, there is one who is called the lion. Uh, If you've been around the the Bible for some time, he's referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So you've all heard that. And that's a, a, a symbol, a way of describing Jesus. This lion prowls around like a roaring lion. Uh, and many suggest that prowling around like a roaring lion is his way to be an imitation of who Jesus is and in a way that, that as somebody follows that imitation that opens themselves up to be devoured. Uh, interesting word, by the way, um, that word devour in the original language, catapino means to drink down, to drink down, or to gulp entire. So when we think of devour, we think a, a little bit differently, but it's, it's literally to gulp down. You know, when somebody's drinking and they're gulping, you know, gulp, 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 and they're just taking it down as fast as they can. So the idea is that Satan, as he prowls around, he's looking for somebody who's unprepared, unsuspecting, and when he pounces, he wants to gulp down as fast as possible. And the goal there is to, I, I would say, not, not just to keep somebody uh, fruitless or ineffective, but I would add to that to, to destroy their testimony in such a way that, that, that it's just, they, they can't go for it. They've been devoured that way. And uh, I, 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 think, I think we would all agree that if you were a general and you were going to send your troops out to, com- to confront the enemy, you, you would want to not to send your troops out to find the most 
ineffective enemy that you could find, ineffective troops. But you'd want to focus your attention on taking out the most effective the most effective enemy that you could so that that's the one that's going to do you the most harm. And, and I see that in, in the church world where uh, those who become very effective and he's focused his attention on those and many times he's brought them down because they forgot the first part of the verse that says be on the alert. The more effective that you become for the Lord, the more alert you have to be, the more on your guard. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and so the next thing that we see in our little passage here. In verse 11, go ahead and write this down, Satan uses well-planned schemes. And I like the term well-planned schemes. Verse 11, he says, put on, the, put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now that word scheme there in the original language is the word methodia, from where we get our English word. You know what? Just look at the definition. It's the next word. It's right there. It's method. You can't, you can't get this wrong. So the word methodia is from where we get the English word. Method. There you go. There you go. Uh, and, and means to traveling over, travel. You'll never get it wrong here, folks. I'll never set you up for failure. You always get it right. It's, 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 it's clear. So, so Satan has his methods, his schemes to get us. And uh, we say, well, planned. I want you to just write this down and always keep this in your mind that they're not random. They're not random. They're well thought out. They're well planned. And the, the lies that you and I hear, the lies that we believe, the arguments that we have, those cravings that we have he, are all designed to make us casualties in this war. And so he's planning, he's planning, he's watching, so we need to be on the alert because if, if we're not, he's going to pounce. And I would add that the reason that Satan so wants to destroy you and he so wants to destroy me, if you're a parent, this will make a lot of sense. You know, for Cheryl and I, uh, God's allowed us to have, have these kids and, and uh, I don't know that I knew this before I became a dad, but there is just something about being a parent where you come to the place and you say, you know, if somebody burns down my house, I go, you know, it's, 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 it's a house, you know, replace it. If it wrecks our car, it's a car. Who really cares? But somebody hurts my kid and all of a sudden it's war. And I've seen some of you 110 pound moms, somebody hurts your kid, you grow fangs and claws and you are terrifying. Is this how it works? And, and there's something inside of you because here, here's what you get hurt anything, but if you want to hurt me, the way that you would hurt me would be to hurt what I love the most. And what I love the most is my kids. And we all get that. And so Satan realizes that the only way, the only way that he can really hurt God is to hurt what what, uh, God loves the most. And what God loves the most is his kids. Is his kids. And that's why Satan wants to target you. And he wants to target me. So um, Satan's favorite schemes. So Satan's favorite schemes. Uh, go ahead and write this down. One of the things we find, uh, and this is probably the, the, uh, in all of his schemes, but uh, write the word deception. His favorite scheme is deception. And here's, here's how this works. Uh, the first scheme we would say would be false teaching. And there in your outline it says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some of your Bibles if you were to look it up and say the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. The doctrines of demons. When it says 
latter times. Again, some of your Bibles, if you were to look that up, it would say the latter times. Latter times means the last times, that last generation just before Jesus comes back. The, the number one sign in the Bible of the last times is deception. It's mentioned more than any other sign. So giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. So here, here's what I would say. How do you know something is a doctrine of a demon that comes from a deceiving spirit? It's something that goes against what God has revealed or something that you can't get by going to what God has revealed. Make sense so far? So let me give you a couple of possibilities. Um, one would be, and we looked at it a few moments ago, statistically 60% of evangelicals do not believe in, in a literal Satan. You can't get that belief system by going to what God has already revealed. So that has to come from another source. And so that would be considered a doctrine or a teaching. The word doctrine means teaching, the teaching of a demon. And that would come from a deceiving spirit. And, and many people are deceived. Another Another thing that's very prevalent in our society, you go to the Bible and the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it tells the process. It says, God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. We live in an age which is pervasive in the church, at least that, or is becoming pervasive in the church, where people look on at that and they say, you know, I I don't really believe that that's the process. I believe that there was another process that brought it all into existence. Here's what I can tell you. That other process, you can't get from what God has already revealed. So you have to get that teaching, that doctrine from another source that could very well be a doctrine or teaching of a demon that comes about by a deceiving spirit. Another one that's very prevalent in the church today is is to say, um, you know, we say Jesus is... Jesus is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, the only way. But you and I live in a generation where many people within the church have a belief. They say, well, you know, I, I, I get that, but you know, they're such nice people. They're kind. They're loving. Certainly, I know they haven't come to Jesus. Well, if, if you embrace that, you cannot get that there's another way other than Jesus by going to what God has already revealed. So that has to come from, uh, we would say, doctrine of a demon or a deceiving spirit. Does that make sense? Uh, you got very quiet on that one. So, uh, but we live in a generation where many people are giving heed to the doctrines of demons, which are coming from deceiving spirits. Another thing that we see taking place that Satan uses in, in deception, write this down, he uses temptations to catch me and publicly display me. Sometimes it's a temptation that comes from out of nowhere. An entity, one of Satan's entities, watches our lives, would say a demon, a familiar spirit, however you'd want to term that, watches our lives, realizes our deepest hungers, the, the things that we, needs that we want to see met, and you know, just all of those things, and he brings a temptation. Very much like this. Um, when you go fishing, you know what you're fishing for, and you know just the right bait to use. And so if I were to go fishing, and I always keep this little lure here at the church, and uh, b- because, because I, I never want to forget uh, how Satan works. But here's what happens when you go fishing. You want the fish to look at this as this kind of flitters through the water back and forth. And uh, you want the fish to look at that and say, that would be the ultimate fulfillment right there, buddy. And then 
you want to get that fish to focus in on those red lips. Can you see those red lips right there? And those big eyes. Put it in the trance, right? (laughs) So here comes the fish, right? Fish thinks this this is ultimate, ultimate fulfillment. But you know what you don't want the fish to see? You don't want the fish to see the hooks. And that's why hooks are typically not made of orange. You know, they're always gray so that the fish doesn't see it. And here's what happens. That fish hits that thinking, hits that bait thinking that they're going to find ultimate fulfillment. But then whammo, they find out it's not what they thought it was. They don't realize how bad it is until they're being reeled into the boat. And then uh, I had you write down to catch me and publicly display me because here's what we do. The bigger the fish, we want to get a picture and we want to show it to all of our friends, don't we? Well, that's what Satan does. That's what Satan does. He looks at your life. He looks at just the right bait, brings that bait, brings it across, wants you to focus in on certain features and convince you that this is ultimate fulfillment. But what he doesn't want you to see is the hook that's attached to it. And many of us have seen or experienced that hook. It wasn't what we thought it was, what we thought it was. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves reeled into the boat. We didn't know how bad it was until we got reeled into the boat. And I can tell you that if you're a pastor of a church and you're doing things from the Lord, uh, not only did they take a picture of it, but it'll be on the news. And, and Satan will do everything he can to make sure as many people know as possible. So as you become more effective for the Lord, you have to become more on the Lord more on the alert, more cautious, because he just tries different bait and uh, tries harder. So, so he uses temptations to catch me and then display me. And then um, the next thing we find, he uses accusations against me to make me feel worthless. I, I love this verse. It says, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. If Satan can get us to the place where we perpetually feel, as he accuses us, that we're unforgivable, unlovable, unusable, whatever he can do, then then he will keep us in that place where we are forever ineffective for him. And many of us, many of us have struggled with feelings of unworthiness, feelings of we can never be forgiven. It's very common for us to be able to look around the room and say, I can see why God would answer that person's prayer, and I can see why God would answer that person's prayer. I mean, they're so spiritual, but I know why God wouldn't answer my prayer because I know the truth about me. Well, the the truth is that if God will answer their prayer, he wants to answer your prayer because before Jesus, we're all the same. We're all the same, and he loves us all. We're all his kids, but Satan wants to deny that in us. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, verse 13. He says, therefore, take up. Now, I've circled take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist. My Bible says, some of your Bibles say stand firm, however your Bible says it, in the evil day. And having done everything, underline everything, stand firm, to stand firm. And it says, so then stand firm, therefore. So here's what we need to do in spiritual warfare. Three things. One, we need to prepare for the attack. It's coming. It is coming. We need to stand firm and we need to fight back. In my Bible, it says to resist, to resist him. And uh, that word is enthestomai in the original language. We also find that word. Some of your Bibles will say withstand or stand your ground, but uh, same, same Greek word. In James's little book, he says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That word resist is enthestomai, it means to stand against or to oppose. 
early on in my life when I was taught to resist the devil, what I thought was Satan comes and he attacks and you just kind of put your hands up and he just starts wailing on you. And then when he's tired, he goes away and that's how you resist him. That word anthestomai in the original language means to return attack. That is when he hits, you hit back. And what God has given us is so much greater than what Satan has. So when we hit back, it has an effect in the spiritual realm. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But I, I wanted to, to highlight something in verse 13 as we're running out of time here. He says, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything. Does your Bible say everything? Most of your Bibles will say the word everything. Everything to stand firm. Everything, everything. Salvation is free, and that, that's something that's unchangeable. But you're born into a war, and if you're going to win this war, you have to do everything. You know, war is never fought with a casual commitment. Nobody's ever won a war with a casual commitment. One of the things I notice as I read through the Bible is that Jesus speaks differently to different groups. He says one thing to apostles, he says another thing to disciples, and he says other things to the crowd that loved Jesus, but you know, they, they just, you know, they, they didn't like leave everything and follow him. They, they, they just, they enjoyed his teaching and, and they were, you know, kind of casual in that. They weren't bad. He, they, he loves them. They love him. But they'd never come to that place where they said, I'm all in. So when Jesus is speaking to the crowds, thousands of people, he says things like, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that's, that's what he says to the crowd. That's what, you know, they're going to be saved. They're going to have that. But you know what he never says to the crowd? And you can go throughout the Gospels and you can find that, who he's talking to, and you'll see that he never says things like this to the crowd. There were 70 disciples that Jesus sent out in twos as they traveled together. And it says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He never said that to the crowds, but he said it to the disciples who he sent out. They were following what he said. They had made that commitment. Whatever you say to do, that's what I'm going to do. It's a very, very different crowd, but it also comes with a very, very different promise. So here's what I've learned in life, and here's what we'll all learn. If we're going to be effective in spiritual warfare, there in your outline, to fight effectively, I need to decide that I'm all in. I'm all in. War is never won with a casual commitment. And for some of us today, maybe, maybe that's the, the place that we need to be. We want the promise of overcoming, but we've never come to the place where we've made the commitment to be all in. So as we close today and as we begin this series, the best decision you can make after you've decided to be a follower of Jesus, that is you've received him in salvation, is to decide, I'm all in. I'm all in. So you find those promises are are different groups, different promises to different groups. Let's go ahead and and, uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the the things that that, uh, we're going to be looking at, we've looked at today. We realize that we are in a very real war. There's a great deal of deception going on 
and uh, either you are true or those other things that we've been listening to are true. And Father, we come back today and we say, we're going to believe you. We're going to believe you. We want to be on the alert. We want to be sober in spirit. We want to be effective. And so, Father, today we want to make that commitment that we're all in as we go forward. We want to recognize the schemes that are coming against us. And Lord, we're going to discover what it is that we can do to stop those things. But we want that authority that you say, I've given you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so, Father, we want to be committed to you in such a way that you're able to give that authority. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.